And joining us here in the studio for the news briefing is h a m i Sorang. Good morning to you. Good morning, Henry. So we've seen now this uh, kind of gradual uh, lifting of restrictions from 2.5 to level 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, that did not immediately mean that the uh, school restrictions were lifted. But yesterday we did have an announcement by the education minister. And you'll tell us the, the details of what they announced. However, uh, the idea of sending kids back to school Uh, again, imminently, has uh, drawn some mixed reactions. Some parents are happy and some parents are not quite so happy. Yeah, so to begin with, the education ministry said yesterday that all schools in the Seoul metropolitan area, they will resume in-person classes next week. Students in the Greater Seoul area have been attending virtual classes since August 26th due to the surge in virus cases. Now, even once in-person classes resume, attendance will still be capped as before to one-third full capacity for kindergarten through to middle schools and two-thirds for high schools. Some parents are worried that it is still too soon for these reopenings. Petitions are popping up on the Blue House petition site calling for the government to delay school reopenings to after Chuseok because there are still more than 100 daily new cases and even if in-person teaching resumes, students will only be going to school once a week anyway. And so the argument there being that there seems to be very little added educational benefit to justify the greater infection risk. Right. So they fear that uh, this is still at a level that uh, things are still dangerous right now. And Mm -hmm. if you're going to send the kids one day a week, what's the point of of doing that? Mm -hmm. And uh, what would be the the value added uh, for this? Now, uh, there is obviously another side to this argument. What what are those parents saying? Well, parents who welcome the resumption of in-person classes, they question, what's the point of keeping schools closed when students are going to hagwons and using public transportation anyway? Mm. And as long as students are strict about wearing masks and keeping up personal hygiene, school reopenings should be the way to go. And aside from the infection risks, there are those that want in-person classes to resume because of the quality of online teaching has been subpar, according to them. Earlier this month on the 2nd, a parent of a third grade student posted a Blue House petition, third grade elementary, calling for at least one hour of tuition where the students are communicating with their teacher. The complaint here was that the so-called online classes were essentially a mix of passively watching EBS and YouTube videos. So that petition has received 33,000 signatures so far. And to meet such demands, the education ministry said yesterday that from now on, during online classes, there will be mandatory greeting sessions through instant messenger applications or web conferencing tools such as Zoom. And teachers will be required to talk to parents at least once a week if virtual classes continue for a week or longer. Right. So... I find this to be personally very annoying because uh, annoying? If, if, mm-hmm. if, if it's not made clear by now, I'm, I'm definitely on the side of the, the first group of parents that you had mentioned. Uh, that, too uh, early? Th- yeah, there, there's no real necess- necessity to send the kid one or two days a week at mm-hmm. most, especially in the, uh, the younger uh, age groups uh, for uh, what uh, would essentially be putting them at risk without any added uh, special benefit. Mm-hmm. But um, just because it <laughs> is maybe a more blunt way of saying uh, just because of a bunch of nerds who want to have <laughs> the, this kind of specialized time and uh-huh. um, uh, specialized instruction, now we're all forced to have this live session where kind of the convenience of having the online classes uh, away 
from the physical classrooms was that you could have a flexible schedule because a lot of times mm-hmm. the parents can yeah. sometimes match it. Maybe we'll start at 10 a.m. this yeah. day mm-hmm. or maybe we'll start at 11 a.m. Right. And you have this thing now where uh, these younger grades, especially uh, counting my kids' age group in the third grade, um, where you have to now be live <laughs> on Zoom. And the right. point for the younger kids was that uh, they it was technically technologically a little bit um, cumbersome to be able to to log into Zoom by yourself and and go through the chat applications. Mm -hmm. And that's why they had relied on the EBS and the Mm -hmm. the YouTube and uh, sort of the pre-taped curriculums. It seems like there is a difference between um, parents who are a bit more chill about Mm -hmm. kids' education, especially in the younger ages. I understand high school is a different thing, but with the younger ages... And just want them to have a kind of a, a well-rounded experience. And mm-hmm. for me personally, I think I miss out more on the kids' social opportunities rather mm. than necessarily the educational opportunities. And then these uh, parents who send their kids to, let's say, uh, private schools or uh, the the uh, the like the the the, the, the university um, uh, right. kind of specialized mm-hmm. education yeah. uh, elementary mm-hmm. schools, and they have this more hard driving mentality mm-hmm. that the kids are falling behind and the yeah. the, the, the education is apart. It feels like the best. solution to all of this would have been from the education ministry, and I know it's difficult and maybe that would not have been successful, but to have gone all in. If you're going to always just have one foot in the, we're going to eventually all go to classes in person, and then one foot in the online curriculum, Mm -hmm. you're not going to fully develop either side. If you had just gone all in on the uh, online online and just say, we're going to try to develop this to the utmost quality possible so that in further crises or pandemics, or even maybe have a paradigm shift of this being one of the options for Mm -hmm. education, it could have gone a long ways. But I think the traditional way of what parents feel is the way you have to teach kids Mm kind of still holds through. And and that's why we still see the private education pressures e- mm-hmm. even till today and then all the way up through high school. Yeah. Even if the infrastructure was built to the utmost standard, would you not have preferred to have the greeting sessions? Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's annoying because, yeah. you know, you have these kids who are, you know, these parents who think that their kids are all going to win Nobel Prizes in, in some science or something and, and they, they have to have this kind of specialized uh, privileged education and we're mm-hmm. just trying to say that at that age, you know, there's this... I, I know that we're getting too much into the weeds of all of this, but there's like a, a kind of con- competing school of thought of mm-hmm. do you want to have the carpenter mentality to raise your kid or the, the, uh, the gardener mentality, mm-hmm. which is the carpenter is kind of you drill, you know, you kind of drill everything kind of in a very, very rigid curriculum. Mm-hmm. Or if it's a gardener, you kind of plant a bed of roses and yeah. see where, where the kids develop. But uh, I guess that's a discussion. You're, you're definitely in the garden no? faction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Um, let's talk about another uh, thing that has been of some dispute. Uh, But the good news, at least there is some bipartisan consensus on the need for a fourth supplementary budget. And indeed, the uh, political parties did agree on that at a plenary session. Um, And so uh, they're going to begin their review on this on Friday. Uh, So they're going to pass this bill. That looks like that's a fait accompli. However, there's still one provision of uh, contention is this idea of providing 20,000 won in telecom fees. The opposition PPP is opposed to that. But the government... um, still holding firm on this, and now they've revealed more details on how exactly they uh, intend to pay out this $20,000? That's right. So the Ministry of Science and ICT, they laid out the details yesterday. So here are the details. All citizens 13 years older, 13 years old and older mm. will be eligible. You'll be deducted $20,000 won from your September bill in October. And even if you have more than one mobile phone number, the subsidy will only apply to a single phone number. Budget or prepaid mobile phone numbers will be included, but business numbers will not. 
If you have both a prepaid and a plan or a postpaid service, the subsidy will apply to the plan service. If you have multiple plan services, then the subsidy will apply to the number that you opened first. And if you have a single prepaid mobile phone number, there must be more than 15 days of use left at the end of September. And finally, if your phone bill is less than 20,000 won to begin with, the subsidy will be carried over to the following months so that the full 20,000 won subsidy can be utilized. You will receive at least two text messages from your carrier to the phone number that is eligible for the subsidy once before and once after the 20,000 won discount has been applied. So the government's point of view of all of this is that because we are in this uh, situation during the pandemic where most of us are at home and we are more reliant on our uh, digital services, including Mm -hmm. telecom fees, uh, that is an increasing burden on the households. And technically speaking, if you hypothetically have a household of four uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, and your kids are 13 years or older, you're going to get an $80,000 payoff for this. That's a significant sum. But then the other side, I Mm -hmm. guess, is saying, well, this is just basically a huge subsidy for these uh, billion-dollar telecom companies because that money is just going directly into their pockets and there is no clear indication that these companies are actually going to spend it back into the economy meaning that there's no so-called, you would say, stimulus or multiplier effect from that money going in Mm -hmm. to actually create more jobs or services or uh, consumption of goods. And so I I guess uh, both sides have a pretty reasonable argument Mm -hmm. here, and it just kind of is determined on uh, how exactly uh, this is doled out, which is why they gave out these specifics. Essentially, if you have a private um, uh, smartphone account or uh, cellular phone account, you're going to get some kind of relief. Yeah. All right, let's turn to another big controversy that uh, does look like um, it uh, should be settled, at least from the official officials' um, point of view and the authorities that had been uh, looking into it. But uh, it does not look like the political controversy has gone away. The defense minister, Cheng Yongru, has now uh, emphasized that there was no illegality involved in Justice Minister Chumie's son allegedly receiving some special favors for extending his uh, vacation. Mm -hmm. So yesterday was the second day of the National Assembly's interpolation session. And during the session, opposition lawmakers, they grilled Defense Minister Cheong Kyung-do over allegations that Justice Minister Chumie used her political influence to win favors for her son while he was in the military. Minister Chong said that the extension of Seo's sick leave was made properly under Army's regulations, that it was recorded in interview and unit operation logs and transcripts and approved by relevant authorities. At the same time, Minister Chong Kyung-do acknowledged that if the prosecutorial probe finds any shortcomings in the military's record-keeping, there must be appropriate complementary measures. Now, regarding allegations of influence peddling in the selection of military interpreters, the defense ministry said such power plays don't work in the military, outright refusing any allegations. Meanwhile, prosecutors raided the defense ministry as part of their investigation into the power abuse scandal. The Seoul Eastern District Prosecutor's Office began its search and seizure operation yesterday morning, looking to secure digital data regarding approval for Seoul's extra leave. So what that indicates is that despite what the uh, 
Defense Ministry had said yesterday uh, mm-hmm. as an entity in regards to uh, Sun's, uh, Chumye Sun's uh, legality or uh, thereof of whether this leave was appropriate or not. And then today, the uh, defense minister himself, Chung Yong-do, also uh, stating that everything was above board in terms of the mm-hmm. request and how the whole process was uh, finalized in terms of approving his leave and the extension of that leave. The prosecutor is now um, going through a uh, siege and seizure, seizure Search and seizure uh, operation yesterday means that uh, they are continuing to uh, investigate this, meaning the press is going to continue to uh, look into it. And obviously the opposition politicians uh, certainly uh, still asking or demanding that uh, they believe that some responsibility be taken by uh, Chumier in terms of even some calling for her resignation. Mm -hmm. uh, That does not look like it's forthcoming. And uh, really, I guess the crux of the matter is uh, whether this will all blow over by the time um, prosecutorial reform actually happens with Mm -hmm. Kong Su Chao and the establishment of this uh, independent uh, commission. And so uh, whether she can see it through or not, I think is sort of the uh, kind of the drama as it stands right now and maybe suspicions on both sides as Mm -hmm. to what the true intentions of people are there. Um, There's another, I I guess... um, alleged scandal that broke out a few months ago, and it was a really, really kind of news-dominating event and thousands and thousands of articles being written about it. Uh, We had some official indictments uh, being made by the prosecution yesterday in regards to the ruling party uh, lawmaker Yun Mi Hyang, Mm -hmm. and now the uh, ruling uh, Democratic Party has uh, broken their silence and uh, kind of addressed what they're going to do about these allegations. That's right. So party leader Lee Nagyon, he spoke with reporters at the National Assembly yesterday and said that the DP's official stance will come out soon when it adheres to party constitution and rules. Inagyon added that the DP's new ethics inspection team will be formed today and that DP senior members will discuss Yoon Bi-hyung's scandal in relation to this inspection team. Now, following late Seoul Mayor Park Won-soon's sexual abuse allegations, the DP revised its party constitution and regulations and established an ethics inspection team to prevent and punish any misconduct by party officials. The DP Secretary General may suspend the duties of party officials the minute they are indicted on charges of corruption such as bribery and illegal political funding. And the party suspended Yoon's duties in line with this regulation yesterday. Yoon, who formerly headed a group for victims of Japan's wartime sexual slavery called Korean Council for Justice and Remembrance for the Issues of Military Sexual Slavery by Japan, she was indicted on eight charges on Monday, including fraud and embezzlement. Yoon has released a statement denying most of the charges, and the civic group has also stated that it is difficult to understand the prosecution's indictment, considering that she has devoted her entire life to the group's activities. So it's the ruling party trying to get ahead of itself uh, in terms of setting up this ethics commission and uh, trying to convey to the public that uh, uh, there may be some allegations that uh, surround certain key figures in their party, Mm. but uh, they're going to make sure that uh, uh, people know that uh, they stand for what is considered to be morally or ethically uh, correct in these situations and address them on a case-by-case basis, including uh, perhaps uh, removing them from certain key party posts. But as you say, uh, Yoon has indicated that uh, she will not engage in any official party activities uh, Mm -hmm. throughout this uh, court trial. And uh, as I briefly mentioned yesterday, if you recall the media coverage of this, there was so much being 
written about all of these uh, allegations and what kind of drew people into a frenzy were things like her real estate purchases Mm. of her apartment. Mm -hmm. um, Selling it on the value. Selling selling it over value. Yeah, and then sending her uh, daughter to Mm -hmm. UCLA and how did this person who is supposed to be a progressive activist have the money to um, send somebody to uh, a university in in the U.S. And the counter was always, what, so if you're a progressive activist, doesn't mean you have to live in poverty. I mean, that's not necessarily (laughs) the way things work um, always. But the actual indictments are these charges in relation to the fundraising efforts, largely speaking, for this group that uh, Yoon was a former head of, uh, which Mm -hmm. advocated for the rights of uh, comfort women. Some of the Uh, legal analysis uh, appears to be that these are kind of weaker indictments in the sense that you're going to have to prove this case that the entire group is engaged in the um, illegal activities, not just UN itself. So Mm -hmm. she was a part of it because she was a former head of the group, but it's actually the actual group's fundraising activities that's Mm -hmm. under scrutiny here right now. And so to actually pinpoint her and find her uh, solely culpable is going to be a pretty uh, difficult Difficult. task. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, Our next story is going to be an interesting one because it is talking about uh, whatever country you live in and how uh, livable it actually is. And for South Koreans... If you uh, are on the optimistic side, it looks like uh, Korea is increasingly becoming a better country to live in. <laughs> yeah, right now we are the 17th best country to live in, 17th among 163 countries. So this is according to the latest SPI, or Social Progress Index, which is put out by the Washington-based nonprofit Social Progress Imperative. Now, 17th is six spots up higher than last year. And the highest ranking ever for South Korea since the organization expanded its survey to include more than 100 countries in 2014. Now, the SPI is a measure of a country's social and environmental performance independent of economic factors such as national debt or GDP. So this index, it looks at four pillars in three main areas, including basic human needs, foundations of well-being and opportunity. So we, as a country, we scored particularly well on the basic human needs section, such as nutrition and basic medical care, but less so on opportunity, things like gender equality of political power and acceptance of gays and lesbians. So in areas of what are perceived to be maybe more discriminatory matters, it looks like Korea is falling short, at least according to these metrics. But some of these uh, uh, kind of basic daily necessities, Korea has been uh, faring pretty well. This is a situation where Koreans always uh, very much interested in where they stack up with the rest of the world (laughs) in these various rankings. But then importantly, also how they uh, stack up compared to other countries. What about some of these other countries? countries. Yes, it seems that more often it's not the absolute ranking, but the relative ranking that is more important, especially in comparison to our neighboring countries. Yeah, for sure. So looking at the overall rankings, Norway topped the list for the third year in a row, followed by mostly other Scandinavian and Oceanian countries, Denmark, Finland, New Zealand, Sweden, Swiss, Canada, and Australia in that order. The U.S. ranked 28th, continuing Mm. to fall from its 25th position in 2018. And as for our neighboring Northeast Asian countries, Japan ranked 13th, down three notches from last year, and China ranked 100th, down 11 ranks from last year. Yeah, and certainly a lot of this is, they're trying to be uh, using uh, objective 
standards, but it is subjective and it is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. You've had the pleasure of living in various of these uh, very livable countries like uh, Sweden, uh, Korea, Australia, Australia New Zealand. Which, uh, New Zealand, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, you've had a very uh, blessed uh, life. <laughs> Let, let's... My, my personal ranking, Korea is first. Oh, yeah, very definitely. nice. Very nice. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it is the right message to convey to our <laughs> listeners here in Seoul. Let's talk about one of the countries that you have lived in, uh, Melbourne, Australia. They are certainly suffering right now. More than 70 people have been arrested for apparently flouting the uh, stay-at-home orders uh, with uh, this anti-lockdown protest. That's right. So 176 people were fined and 74 arrested. So the demonstrations come as Victoria Governor Daniel Andrews declared that a citywide curfew will not be lifted until at least October 26th. Melbourne has been under lockdown since July 9th. And if aside from going to work, you're only allowed to leave your house for two hours of exercise or socializing every day. And Victoria has been the epicenter of Australia's coronavirus outbreak with 75% of cases and 90% of deaths. The current stage of restrictions will remain in place until there are fewer than five cases on average per day for the coming two weeks. Yeah, just goes to show we're not the only ones here right now uh, suffering from an upsurge in uh, these new infections. All right, as always, Misorang, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Henry.